Hi, everybody. This is the inaugural episode of the Log Smarter Podcast with your host, Ryan LaFave. And joining me today is Dr. Brandon Roberts, who has a PhD in muscle biology. He's a really respected researcher. He's done a lot of work with exercise science, sports nutrition. He's a brilliant writer, works for Weightology, and he also happens to be the chief science officer of Log Smarter. So now I'll let Brandon jump in with anything he thinks that I might have missed about him that he wants people to know. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was a good intro. I think um, you know, I I try to bond with people a little bit and tell them that I've been, you know, I've been a personal trainer. I've kind of not fought the entire fight. You know, I have never been a personal trainer full time, but during my PhD and then afterwards I was a, uh, you know, had 10, 15 clients, uh, which isn't a full load. And then, you know, I'm also a physique athlete, so I've competed a couple times in bodybuilding, uh, men's natural bodybuilding. Um, so that kind of gives me a little of a practice type application, if you will. Um, so of course the academic stuff is there. I do enjoy interpreting science. I've found, found myself recently having to review quite a few papers. Um, I feel like a, a couple of people just have me on their list, just like send it to Brandon. It'll be fine. Just send it to him. <laughs> so, um, staying busy for sure. Yeah, definitely. So if you were to summarize all that, you'd say you not only get jacked, but you make other people jacked, right? That's right. That's the goal. Okay, good. Just making sure I was following. <laughs> um, so I was figuring that something we could do to kind of kick this off in a light way was maybe you could talk about what you're doing research wise, or like maybe your personal nutrition and training, just what up we're up to lately. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So on the research front, um, I have a couple studies going where I'm studying um, NSAIDs, so like ibuprofen, uh, aspirin, acetaminophen, things like that, um, and how they affect muscle. Um, so we've we've developed basically a cell culture model, a, a animal model, and a human model, and we're basically teasing out which NSAID is good or bad for muscle and which NSAID is good or bad for bone. Um, so the idea being that if you take a bunch of NSAIDs, like say you're you know trying to make it through workouts, powerlifters do this a little bit more than bodybuilders and physique athletes, but just trying to like grind through it, right? Um, does that that affect your long-term gains in, in muscle? And if you're say an endurance athlete, or maybe you're starting a program or really ramping up your training, does it affect your bone such that you're not creating as much bone as you could be? Which think about it, you kind of need bone a little bit. So um, that could also be detrimental. Um, so that's the the kind of the thrust of what I'm doing now. Um, in the, you know, I'm also kind of working on some ketone ester research, trying to write a couple papers on some projects that we did a couple years ago. Um, so, so kind of have my hands all over the place right now. All right, cool. Yeah, very nice. Uh, and then the next thing I was thinking we should talk about was, since this is the inaugural episode, kind of the birth of Log Smarter, and then how you first found out about it, and then slid into my DMs on Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, um, the the uh, moderators over at um, our natural bodybuilding probably know me fairly well, because um, I, I just, you know, everybody has their thing where they scroll, right? You're sitting there, you're in between meetings, your classes, you're just like, let me mindlessly check out some feeds. And it used to be um, Facebook. Uh, it's kind of Instagram for most people, but I think our demographic, like that 20 to 40 year old male, uh, tends to just scroll through Reddit. So, you know, just kind of keeping up with it and reading stuff, you know, you see, you see like scientists and um, 
athletes in there all the time. So Greg Knuckles is in there, Helms is in there occasionally. Um, and you'll just kind of see different people. And so I, I was just skimming through there one day and I saw this, this post by you, um, who I had no idea who it was at the time. I, I think your name is what? Boston Ral or something. Yeah. It's not right? like a very, very like good name. It doesn't match any of my other social medias or anything. <laughs> yeah. But I knew, I knew Boston. I was like, okay, Boston, that, that works. Um, so I started looking through kind of your post and, and, you know, it's, it's been a while, so it's not like I read it before this, but, um, you know, I thought this is a this is a very interesting idea, because the person who kind of helped us late later down the road had just given a talk at my institution. So she came in and she gave a research talk, um, and so I said, "Oh, wow, okay, so this is some some very rare data." And then you add in the kind of software side of it, so the machine learning, uh, which I don't need to tell anybody is like a hot topic now, right? It's like what do we do? We have all this data, machine learning. And then they just like, you're like, yeah, yeah, but, but what, what kind of machine learning? Right. And, and so people don't understand kind of what's in the black box. Um, but you did. And so that was where I was like, okay, so he's got a passion for, for nutrition. He's got some good data. It's got a, seems like a sweet algorithm and, and kind of mechanics and understands it behind it. Isn't just, you know, coding and seeing what happens. Um, and I was like, okay, well, I, I try to support, you know, also you're, you were a student at the time or, you know, are kind of finishing your studentship up. But I was like, I like to support students and I've had a couple reach out to me. Um, so I was like, let me just, let me just see if he needs any help. Let me just see. And if he says no, it's fine. Like I'm, I'm not even looking for anything. I just want to make sure that nobody steals his shit. Um, and that, that was the, the kind of rationale of reaching out be like, you've got something really cool here, but I don't let anybody take it from you. So that was kind of how it started, I think. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good uh, summary of what happened there. I remember being initially really like not weirded out, but thinking it, I don't know what the right like fate almost that you emailed me because I was listening to you on the Iron Culture podcast like two weeks before I made that post, and it was just so weird to have you be the random Reddit user <laughs> that reached out to me and then started emailing me, and then we went back and forth on it for like probably like six months before the business even started. So it's definitely an interesting story. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I know it's weird. It's like, like, what is, what does this guy want? It was literally, I just wanted to help and make sure that you, you kind of followed through with what you laid out in your post as your like vision. And I was like, no, he's got something special. Like keep going, especially if you're interested. It's one thing if, you know, you wrote some code for, for a project, for a class project, let's say that's, you're not interested in it. It's like, okay, yeah, whatever. Um, but you know, you can see post histories, right? You can see kind of what people do. Um, so, you know, just having that background is, is nice and your skill set was pretty cool. So it was weird. At the time, I was like, I, as I was even like DMing you, I was like, this is weird. Like, he's just not, he's either not going to answer or going to think I'm trying to like steal his shit. And I'm not doing either of those things. But, you know, it, it's just like, I, I foresaw that you might need some help in the future. Yeah, it, it definitely couldn't have worked out better. I'll say that. So like if we rolled a die, we rolled a nine out of 10 or a 10. So not too bad. Nice. So I was thinking the, the next thing we'd probably want to do is get into some common questions that I've gotten. And I've kind of compiled them and they're questions from DMs and emails and different social medias. And to avoid redundancy, I've kind of molded them into bigger questions. So we'll start off with the first one, which is something we get all the time. And it's a necessary skill to use our app. So if you were completely new to tracking your nutrition and macros, how would you start? And then what do you think the path of least resistance would be to learning that skill? 
Yeah. So this is like when you start tracking your macros, it's it's really hard. Like if you've never done it to start, um, I think what I would recommend for most people, and this is a little easier if you're kind of if you eat kind of broy, like honestly, because you meal prep and you eat a lot of the same stuff. Um, so I would recommend kind of starting there is pick a couple meals that you can kind of replicate well. Um, get a food scale, right? Because when you're first starting, your eyes aren't uh, like kind of attuned to seeing a, a 10 to 15 gram difference, right? You pour some rice, some dried rice, on a on a scale, and you're like, oh yeah, that's 30 grams. You're like, I don't. I mean, that's yeah, cool, whatever. And then you look at the the serving size, and you're like, okay, it's 45 grams. And so the reason you need a scale, at least for the beginning, is so you can really make sure you're getting the the right numbers. Um, so that's what I kind of recommend people eating very simple foods like fruits are super easy to weigh, um, dried rice, oatmeal, prepackaged things even. Like the package is not like 100% correct, but for tracking purposes, it's definitely close enough. Um, so I've had people that I've coached kind of come onto this, how do I track my macros? And I'm like, okay, let's get some prepackaged meals because you just have to look on the back of the package. Um, so that's kind of the, the combination of those two things is what I generally tell people. Uh, and then like when you're starting tracking in general, don't necessarily try to diet right away. Like just take a couple days or a week or however long it takes you to get comfortable and just start weighing stuff. And you can track your calories, right? You don't have to be on a diet. It's just, okay, I'm normally eating, you know, whatever. And this is what it looks like. And if now if I want to diet, I need to reduce that. If I want to bulk, I need to increase it. So that's the it, – it, it's way simpler or, or it's way more complicated than it sounds, but you have to, again, start somewhere. So that's where what I tell people. Yeah, I think that was a, a pretty good summary. And then do you have a food diary that you recommend? I know I still use my fitness pal, but other people – I've heard a lot about chronometer. I still use my fitness pal, but that's because uh, I've just been using it for – probably eight years like it's been a hot minute um and i'm just like all my food's stored like i have we have recipes like my wife cooks recipes are in there stored i'm like okay eight eighth of lisa's lasagna right cool or you know we made some cookies and i saved that recipe so i just saved it in my fence pal i think whatever you can do to make your life easier just use that yeah, definitely. That makes sense. And then also another, are you one of the people that whenever you go out and you got to get, cause this is one of the tough, toughest parts of tracking for new people. I think when you're guesstimating, do you always round down, uh, up? I mean, to make it seem like a fatty meal or like a big fat meal when it might not be. <laughs> I, if I'm dieting, yes, for sure. I think if I'm at like maintenance or even bulking, I may be a little more conservative. Um, but even when, like, even when I go out, right. So in, in, in Boston, like the fish and chips are like everywhere has fish and chips and it's always good. Um, so that's one of my, my go-tos. Right. And it, so I have a fish and chips in my fitness pal and it's like about right. It's like 1200 calories. And I, and like I can judge based on what I've had before and adjust it from there. I think it's because in the grand scheme of things, it's all relative, right? If you eat the exact same stuff or the same calories, you're going to pretty much remain weight stable. It's just when you kind of deviate from that. Right. So you go up, you're going to gain weight, go down, you're going to lose weight. So, um, I do have a couple things, but I generally overestimate when in doubt. 
Yeah. And I, I think that that's probably the way to go. And pe- like you said, people get way too fixated on what one meal is going to do to them anyways, where it's like you, you could forget to log that fish and chips. And as long as everything else was fine for the rest of the week, you'd probably be okay. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's like, it's just like when you're est- under estimating by like that every single day yeah. because you're not, or you don't know how to track correctly, then you have problems, which is why for step one, right? Learn to track maybe minimize eating out as much as you can during that period. Yeah, definitely. And then now this is a question I like because you get so many different answers is what's your personal preferred macro split? And then if you were starting off to recommend a macro split to a, like a client you were training, um, although that might, is probably pretty dependent on the client, you know, what, what would you lean towards maybe for most people? Um, okay. So the easiest thing and where I start most people and where I'm kind of sitting right now is about a gram of protein per pound of body weight, right? That's pretty simple. Um, I actually, I might eat a little more than that. So I'm like 170 pounds. I might do eat 180 grams a day of protein. Um, but for the way I'm training, I'm not like training as a physique athlete right now. So it's totally fine. Um, and then I like carbs more than I like fat. Well, let me rephrase that. I perform better with more carbs. I really, really like eating fatty stuff. Uh, and that's what most people will realize as they start tracking is like, I didn't know this packet of whatever had 10 grams of fat in it. Like that's a fifth of what I'm supposed to eat today or a sixth or a seventh, right? That's, that's quite a bit. Um, so I would say protein, body weight ish, and then probably a 70 30 split of the rest of calories 70 percent going to carbs 30 percent going to fat um i do try to stay above half a gram of fat per kilogram of body weight that's kind of my low end point but that's you know again being 170 pounds it's about 40 grams of fat so you got to do some some math and is the the reason for that lower end of fat intake for hormonal reasons? Because if you don't get enough fat, it starts to mess with that, right? It does. And there's, you know, there's not a ton of research on that. And I think, I actually think there's a couple of papers published recently on like lower fat meals. Um, because if you look at kind of the background of what that does to your hormones, as long as you're in a healthy place, it doesn't do a whole lot. But that's definitely not something you want to continue like for a long period, right? If you're dieting and, you know, you go down to 30 grams of fat or whatever, that's below the 0.5 for 10 weeks. Like it's probably not going to do much now, but if you habitually eat that little fat, it's probably not the best option um, because fat's in, you know, all of our cells does lots of different things. Yeah. And at least anecdotally, I can add that there was one point in the beginning of my fitness journey when I first discovered uh, low fat diets, I was eating exclusively pineapples and egg whites for breakfast and then just chicken and rice every other meal in a very steep deficit. And I I did not feel good. So ever since then, I've made sure to get at least one like fattier meal in every day. Yeah. And you can, you know, it's not hard to have ground turkey for a meal which is like 94 percent or something or even fattier beef or you know throw some almonds in right nobody's ever gonna yell at you or consider you unhealthy if you eat a handful of almonds a day that's usually my go-to is like when i look at my log and i'm kind of low i'm like i got some almonds over here that seems like a good choice let me just eat those you know 
Yeah, I gotta be. I'm. That would never be my go-to snack. I'm full of almonds. <laughs> it's it's not like super satiating, and it's not like oh yeah. But I mean, it's it's super healthy. That's my thing. I'm just like I could have chocolate or I could have almonds. Uh, you know. Yeah, probably probably a smarter choice than me just throwing cheese on whatever. <laughs> <laughs> True. Okay, cool. Uh, another question that we'll get pretty commonly is let's say somebody hits their calories for the day, but they didn't hit their macros. Is there ever really a case where you'd want to see them go over their calories to hit those macros? Um, so not really, as long as it's not happening like all the time, you know, I see this a lot with protein, right? It's like, you know, I'm supposed to have 170 grams of protein. I only got 135 grams, which is still quite a bit. Um, but I'm at my calories for the day. What do I do? Right. Well, just call it a day. Like, don't don't try to eat up into your protein, especially um, fat and carbs. You know, I mean, as long as you're not extreme, <laughs> kind of like your pineapple and egg white. That's so gross. <laughs> um, <laughs> not mixed together. I don't know if I gave that impression, but <laughs> oh, okay. No, well, I, yeah. I don't know. I, I like both of them separate, so I understand that. Um, but yeah, as long as you're not extreme one way or the other, and and there are even cases when that's okay. Like. The ketogenic diet it's okay to be extreme for a little while um you should be fine just don't overeat or uh, like change too much because again like you said a, a day is not going to do much a week might do a little bit but like a lifetime of overeating or kind of manipulating things too much can can be hard yeah i think that that was a pretty good like i haven't really heard too many good justifications for going over even if it's to hit your protein yeah. Okay, sweet. So if somebody's tracking macros, they're probably bulking or cutting or maintaining too. So maybe you want to go over what nutritional periodization is and why it's important. Yeah. So we, I, I kind of think I'll start at weight maintenance, right? Because weight maintenance is, is just staying the same weight. And that's what a lot of people struggle with, especially as you age, you know, kind of older adults or middle-aged people, um, what happens is their weight starts fluctuating upwards. And that's because they're not eating like a ton more than they should, right? If their maintenance calories is 2,200 calories, they're eating like 2,500, but they're doing it like all year round. And then you have holidays and things like that. Um, so I think understanding your weight maintenance, finding your macros that you can just go to and not gain weight and not lose weight is really important just for a healthy lifestyle. Um, so that's kind of where I, I like to start people. People don't really want to start at maintenance when they're like, Hey, I want to diet or Hey, I want to get jacked. Right. But you need to have that baseline at least to understand things a little bit. Um, the other aspect is bulking, like you said. Um, so remind me what, what angle are we taking with bulking? <laughs> My dog's drinking water in the background. She's oh, no like, worries. <laughs> yeah, we were just basically going over what nutritional periodization is and what the idea of bulking and cutting. Because a lot of people, when they're new to tracking their nutrition, they don't really understand the, the concept of strategically going in and out of surpluses and deficits. Yeah, okay, gotcha. So, again, puppies like to, to, to hover around me when I'm on podcasts. Um, so the idea being that you don't really want to be in a bulk for too long because you'll gain too much fat, right? Nobody wants to, to bulk. The goal is to 
not only increase your your muscle, but you should be increasing your performance a bit at the same time. Um, and then as a, in a deficit or like, you know, losing weight, you don't really want to be in a deficit for forever. Like if you're going to compete in competition, sure, you can do like a 20 week diet or 30 week diet. But, you know, an average person who maybe you want to lose 10 pounds, that's like average person probably wants to lose like 10 pounds. Um, you know, you can do that in 12 weeks. Like it's not that bad, about a pound a week, get a little momentum going. Um, so, you know, periodizing your nutrition around your goals is important um, because you don't want to get tracked in to one thing forever, right? You, you could eat, you can actually under eat and they, they call it like low energy availability or reds and in, in females um, where you have issues where you're just like not eating enough but you're working out hard, you're training, you're doing all this other stuff, you have life to deal with. Um, so that's not healthy, right? And on the opposite end, overeating or bulking accidentally for a really long time is also not healthy. That's how you get overweight and obese. So you need to kind of use your tools to get to where you want to be as a physique, as a performance maybe, um, and just in general. So I think that's the, the idea behind periodization is, is using those three things to get where you want to be. Yeah. And one of the things I like to like the way I, I think of it is for all these positive adaptations when you're in a calorie surplus and you're gaining muscle, there's negative adaptations that come along, too. So you need to offset the negative adaptations by taking a different course of action. Yeah. 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 And, and you know, ideally, in the grand scheme of things, you're not I mean, bulking for a long time is probably OK. Like if you if you have a slow bulk, it's OK to be in a bulk for like a year. Um, it's not necessarily okay to be in a diet for a year, even if it's slow. Um, but I, you want to spend most of your time kind of around maintenance, you know, like pick your spots essentially is what I tell people. Yeah. Mo most people will come when they try to spend too long in a deficit, which almost everybody does when they start doing this stuff, you'll realize that life is much better at maintenance or in a bulk. <laughs> yeah. And just being able to say, you know, like we were talking about earlier, going, and having a nice meal and being able to say, okay, well, I mean, that's it. it it's one meal. It'll be okay. Right. And cause I'm out of maintenance, I'm not dieting or I'm not bulking, you know? Yeah. A hundred percent. So another question that we've, we could probably do a whole podcast on this one that is really tough to, to answer in a concise way is you take a new person and maybe they're that classic person on Reddit on like r slash bulk or cut, you know, how do you decide with a new person whether they should bulk or cut when so much of it comes down to subjective things? Yeah. So you have to understand why they want to, to do like what their goal is, right? Because we do have this thing called body recomposition, right? Where you can lose a little fat and gain a good bit of muscle at the same time. Um, so you can use that as a tool, but when you you kind of just have to look at someone and say you know how much how much muscle do you have are you do you have a good bit and we just need to to dust it off right loosen fat so you can it can shine through or are you really kind of small and we need to put some muscle on you because if we diet you you'll look shredded but you won't be happy because you don't have that much underlying muscle in the first place um so it's kind of like aligning goals with with realistic like changes if you come to me and you've never really trained much or like at all 
we can put on some solid muscle in a year, like eight to 15 pounds, depending on how you respond of just lean mass and it'll look good and you'll feel good and you won't even have to diet. Um, but if you come to me 30 pounds overweight, right. And maybe you've been doing the right thing. You've been training, like you're not going to feel like you accomplish anything. If your goal is to, is to get lean until you lose some of that fat. So mixing a little bit of goal alignment with expectations and reality, I think. So from a personal perspective, I know, like we both internally know what the process is of figuring out what we're both comfortable with. But as a coach, I'd be interested in knowing how do you feel out if what the client is telling you is correct about whether they're comfortable with gaining more, you know what I'm saying? Losing more, gaining more and what their body image. Yeah. So that's a, that's a really hard. And what I've again, worked for a number of different coaching companies is you have them list their goals and the order of importance, right? So if your first goal is to lose fat under your arms or something, like let's just say that's, or like lose your, your beer belly, right? Well, then I know that your ultimate goal is to like lose that fat. Um, but if you're, you come to me and your first goal is like, I want to, you know, I, I just want to be big and strong, right? That's, that's completely different. Um, so it's a little bit of, uh, talking to the person and just kind of understanding, um, it's a little bit of trial and error, right? So if you tell someone, Hey, you're, you know, you're lean ish and you want to be big, we need to bulk and you get three or four weeks into the bulk and they're resisting you the whole way. You're like, okay, well maybe a bulk was optimal because you're not training correctly either, but we can just sit at maintenance and I can just change your training and just give you some accountability. Most of coaching is straight up accountability and then you'll, you'll feel better. We'll make sure you don't get injured. We'll make sure you're progressing and like, you'll be awesome. Like you'll feel good, but it's not necessarily optimal in terms of gaining the most mass in the quickest amount of time. Um, so yeah, again, you just kind of have to talk to people, um, and figure out what drives them, which is hard to do from a coaching perspective. Yeah. So what factors would you consider? Let's say somebody wants the bulk. How would you determine that initial surplus? Yeah, so I would I would have them track most people won't track for 2 weeks, but like that's the ideal situation. Is you come in and let's pretend they know how to track or you know, they're comfortable tracking. So you have them track for 2 weeks and you figure out their calories and then a simple like if they if they're committed to like a long-term bulk or if they don't vary a ton in their calories like if they're not eating like 3000 one day and 1500 the next day if they're eating like let's say around 2000 to 2400 like that little wiggle room you know you can start them on a, like a three to 500 calorie surplus uh, and that's pretty safe um if they're worried about gaining fat you pull it down a little bit you say okay we're gonna go 200 calories that's in the grand scheme of things not very much it's like a, i don't even know it's less than a candy bar i don't it's trying to think a packet of oatmeal <laughs> it's about a packet of oatmeal and a little bit um so it depends on how much they want to gain how quickly but if i can pick like three to five hundred calories per day over maintenance whatever that maintenance is yeah and i really like how you said it matters how much they gain because i think some people especially my friends at college like they get way too fixated on wanting to be ronnie coleman and be in this massive calorie surplus when really the idea is it matters how much weight you're gaining and the speed at which you're gaining that weight not necessarily how much you can flex about your huge surplus 
Yeah. And I mean, I was like in college, I was the exact same way. Like I would, I would bulk. <laughs> it's like a perma bulk. Um, but even, even towards in, in grad school, when I was, you know, doing a lot of the stuff, I didn't understand that. And I don't think there's a good paper that describes this or any good research to say you can only gain X amount of muscle or lean mass, we'll call it per whatever, right? Like some people say a pound of lean mass per month. And then maybe if you're like a really good responder, you could get like one and a half. And if you're poor, you don't respond that well, or maybe you don't have a good adherence, more likely, um, you get like half a pound of muscle a month. But if you're eating, you know, all of these extra calories and they're not going to muscle, where are they going? To fat, right? And that's like, nobody really wants to get fat. Like you could get strong, but again, if your goal is to get a better physique, that may not be the best route. Yeah, I think that you put that perfectly. So we've talked about bulking and cutting now. And inherently, once people understand that, that that's pretty easy to figure out. You know, you bulk when you want to put on muscle, but to gain muscle, you got to gain weight. So sometimes you gain a little extra fat, and it's a lot easier to lose fat than it is to lose muscle. So if you do the right things with your nutrition and training, you lower your calories, you lose the fat, keep a lot of the muscle, you have a better physique. So where do maintenance phases come in there? Um, okay, so... If we're past the beginning, right, maintenance, just to figure out where you're at. Um, I think maintenance phases are maybe in a time of life when you don't know what you want to do or you don't have the ability to do something, right? So maintenance is kind of like status quo, right? If if you came off a of bulk and you feel good, like performance is good, you like how you look, you could just stick it out. That's your maintenance is like you're happy. Most people don't really ever get happy if they're i call it chasing the dragon like you can never quite catch the dragon so you're like uh i'm never happy what do you mean i'm gonna diet again and then i'm gonna bulk again and then i'm gonna buy a diet so having these maintenance phases kind of brings you back to reality um because when you bulk you know you gain fat and your metabolism upregulates a bit and then your training goes to like goes well and then you feel generally good unless you're one of the people i think like yourself who have to eat a ton of calories to bulk um but then kind of when you're dieting you're kind of not miserable but you're not like it like a part of you is missing when you're dieting it's like just not there right and if you're a student or you know you're working hard and you've got to deal with life right maybe it's not a good time to do either because you can't pack in all this food and you can't train properly or you, you just can't twist the knobs enough. Um, so the maintenance phase is just like status quo life. Like I'm just maintaining. This is where I should be able to keep forever and maybe not be happy, but I should be able to hold this and be okay. Yeah, definitely. One of the things that a lot of people get tripped up on, I feel like, how long would you recommend taking a maintenance phase for? Um, so if you're going to kind of periodize your nutrition, kind of go between bulking and cutting and bulking, I mean, a, a month is nice. Like if you can get two months, great. Four to six weeks is what I tell people. Like you need to come back down and figure, figure yourself out for four to six weeks. Um, otherwise there's just a lot of variables going on there that you may miss, uh, especially if you're dieting to get really lean, like, someone someone actually said this it might have been helms it might have been fish and i don't remember but it's like for every week you diet you want like half a week of maintenance or something or maybe it's a one-to-one -one, um to where you just you really 
come back to normal and let everything kind of equilibrate. Yeah. And I think that for me, taking maintenance phases was actually the thing that helped me push my training and like my gains further, basically, because I didn't even realize it, but I found myself going on these crazy bulks and then I would gain a lot of size, but then immediately want to get lean so fast and just throw myself in this crazy deficit crash diet. And even though I was making progress over time, the progress looked like this instead of a more straight lines. So I, I think taking maintenance phases is really beneficial is what I'm trying to get across here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think at, when you start, everybody does that. And that's a great reason to use, you know, resources or listen to people who know what they're doing or get a coach or like, you know, use the tools that you have, whatever you can do to help you through that. Like, again, that kind of up and down, we want to avoid that, because that's not good for your body really it's not good for your mind it's just not good in general um and it may not hurt you but it's but it's not the best way to go about doing certain things yeah and when we're talking so that was good that you mentioned the up and down because i realized the audio listeners have no idea what i'm talking about i was talking about just crazy yo-yo dieting basically but we've been asked before why in the app we don't have a, a mini cut option right now and something that i'm hearing way more off like even regular bros at the gym talking about doing these short super aggressive bulks and then mini cutting you know do you see a huge benefit to that type of dieting or would you rather see longer phases um okay so if you want to lose a substantial amount of weight um you're going to want a longer cut i think a mini cut honestly most people use it just to feel better like straight up you've been bulking for two months three months four however long like eventually it just wears on you mentally and physically um and so you're like okay let me slam six week mini cut let me get it but how much fat can you really lose in six weeks i mean maybe like six pounds maybe but probably not you have so much water that shifts, glycogen shifts, when you're going from a bulk to a mini cut, it's really hard to see where your kind of baseline is. And that's why doing a maintenance, just even a quick one, like give me two weeks of maintenance, minimum, right? Reset, now go into your deficit and say, do do a six week mini cut, right? That, I mean, that's short, that's a short diet and be aggressive and then come back out of it. But I think people get, like you said earlier, focused on, I, oh no, I've got all this fat or no, oh no, I have, you know, I'm, I'm too big. Right. And, and you just kind of have to look at a little bit bigger picture because you're not going to put on a ton of muscle or lose a ton of fat very quickly. Like it just physiologically it just doesn't happen. Yeah, I think that's all good information. And one way I've heard Alberto Nunez describe it is a lot of times when you're bulking, when you just enter into a steep calorie deficit for like maybe a week, a week and a half, you just lose like so much gunk that was inside you and you feel so much better. But if you enter back into that surplus, it's all just a temporary change, kind of either stalling your progress on the bulk or stopping you from starting your maintenance phase, your cut or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what I was trying to like verbalize, but Alberto does it more elegantly than I do because he's been, you know, got a little more experience, but Anyway, yeah, you just feel better. And then you're like, okay, cool. Now I want to go to bulk. It's like, well, maybe if you just maintain for a week, you probably feel the same. Yeah, so. 100%. So this is when I think about my nutrition, a lot of times I think of the tracking of the calories and macros as the input. It's what's going into your body. But then the output is my weight. 
So when you're tracking your nutrition uh, and you're bulking or cutting, what do you recommend for people as far as monitoring their body weight? What should they be doing? So I generally recommend um, if you can like mentally handle it, try to weigh every day. Um, if you have like big swings, maybe you know you can skip the scale a day. Say you went out and partied and you ate a ton of pizza late at night. Like yeah, I mean the next day is going to be wicked weird. So just skip it. Um, but the the more data points in general, if you're not doing too many crazy things, the better because you can make better decisions with more data. Uh, so that's what I tell people, like, give me at least three solid days per week back to back. I'd rather see five. And if we're dieting, it's going to be seven, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> like, that's how I hold you accountable is that, you know, that sometimes in the morning, you got to step on that scale. And like, maybe you make a little bit better of a choice with your food, because you, you know, your coach is going to see it, or you know, you're going to have a flag on your app or whatever. It's gonna be like, damn, should have done that. Yeah, definitely. And um, when you're talking about taking, like weighing yourself at least three days a week or five days a week or seven days a week, you really want to be seeing, like looking at the average there and not taking any one day out of context. So I think that that's good to add in. Yeah, definitely. And I've, um, so yeah, an average over a week, and it can be ideally like a, like not many coaches do this, but a rolling week. So like, like what we use, um, because like if you only take an average one time per week, you only are looking at like the past period of a week. So you're like a week behind, right? So if you start to see something change too quickly, it's like you're already falling behind your numbers. So that's why if you can do a rolling average, it's it's the best method. Not, I can't think of any coaches that do that, honestly. Um, it's very rare. Yeah, I would agree with that because you then have seven opportunities to analyze what's going on versus one. Yeah, definitely. So one thing that I personally um, empathize with but don't necessarily relate to that I have had pushback on when I talk about Logsmart and things we do, what would your response be to people that immediately hear like, oh, we're tracking our calories and weighing ourselves every day? Isn't that psychologically damaging? Yeah. So for some people, it, it can be. And I think, especially in the physique world, right? Like you get people who are very conscious of how they look, right? So so independent of, of tracking anything, you could already have a problem. And then you add on the factor of like, you're getting all this data and you're seeing change that you can see pretty immediately. Um, so there is a risk there. I think there's a there's a risk to not knowing too, and that's not accounted for sometimes. I don't know, like I'm not going to tell you what that risk is. I don't really know it. Um, but you know, if it comes between like being, you know, cognizant of what you're eating because you're tracking versus being oblivious and not having any idea of like I'm gaining weight and I don't know why, versus like having some decent data, like a, a scientific perspective of saying, oh, you know, I've been eating kind of what I thought was my maintenance for a while, but I'm actually gaining weight and nothing else is weird. So maybe my maintenance is a little bit lower than I thought it was, or maybe, you know, it's been winter and I'm not moving as much. Right. So there is a risk. There's always going to be a risk. Um, it's just how do you mitigate that risk? What do you do about it? And what's the alternative? Yeah, definitely. And if somebody's seriously having issues with those things, then maybe stay away from them and, and see a professional. That's probably some of the best advice I think you could give to a person that's repeatedly like burning themselves and touching the thing that's hot. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like there, there are plenty of people who can help you do deal with those things. Like I've, as again, as a natural bodybuilder, I've, I have body dysmorphia tendencies because I've been super duper lean. And it's like, once you get that lean, like going the opposite direction is hard. Um, so, I mean, I'm like, I've even talked to people. So like, don't, don't ever be afraid of it because those people exist and they're really good too. So. Yeah. And that's, that's great to hear that you've personally been through it and can offer some firsthand advice. Yeah. So one of the things that I've always liked about log smarter is we boil things down to just two variables, body weight and calorie intake, and can get a lot of information from there. If I had to throw in one more variable that I think is pretty important is protein intake. As far as nutrition goes, how, how much do you think somebody would be leaving on the table if those were the only three variables they tracked, but they tracked them every day? Not much. Um, not much at all. Especially if you're like bulking or cutting like or maintenance. Honestly, what what's going to matter for the for the people who don't get the other data is performance, but it's I mean you're talking like high level endurance athletes or you know I can't even think of a some some type of athlete eats like a high fat diet. I like I don't know. Um so so again, not much. Most most coaches will tell you like if you can't like follow macros directly, do let's do calories. They'll start your own calories and body weight because they have to have an output, right? Um, and then we'll fix your protein. Well, protein's not that hard to really for people to get. Like if they're going to have a goal, they're pretty likely going to be able to hit their protein. And maybe they can't hit exactly, but they're close, right? So then that actually plays in our favor where the calories are still there. And the protein is kind of a wiggle room because we we don't know exactly how much protein you should be eating. We just have a range, right? So um, again, the grand scheme of things, if you have the three things you said, so protein, body weight, calories, that's perfect. If you just have body weight and calories and you're just eating right, you're probably fine. Yeah, I think because most of us use food diary apps, it's really easy to just track the fat and carbs too if you're already tracking the protein. But I mean, if that's what I tell a lot of people is if you're only going to monitor a couple things, like that's really what I would boil it down to. Nutrition-wise, like training, I think you benefit a little bit from being a little more sophisticated or at least everybody has – I feel like training, a lot of people have their own ways of doing things. So yeah, yeah that's a whole yeah. different discussion. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that in the future some other time. For sure. So that's it for the questions that I've compiled. I have one more question, though, that I think would be interesting to ask you. So yeah. let's say you have unlimited funding and you can do any study you want. What type of nutrition or exercise science study would you do? Oh, man. Okay. So I, I've actually thought about this before, and I'm trying to figure out a way to do it. I just, there's, it's hard. Um, so right now, we're doing a study. I'm doing this with Helms and Brad Dieter and uh, James Krager, where we're doing different surpluses and doing a bulk, right? The idea being you put people on a bulk, they're either eating 1.5% um, or gaining 1.5% of their body weight per week or 0.5%, which is, you know, good difference. Heart scientifically, it's hard to do. Um, and then we're training them for 10 weeks. 12 weeks, 12 weeks, um, given a program, kind of overseeing it and stuff, right? 
So there is not much data at all on bulking in trained people with good methods. So like I would take as many groups as I could, like again, we're pretending here. I have all the money in the world. That means I have all the participants in the world because I can pay them whatever, right? So you're taking like multiple groups, you're bulking them. They're all kind of trained the same. Um, you're giving them maybe doubly labeled water so you know exactly their energy expenditure. You're giving them everything they eat. Um, you're not necessarily confining them to like a metabolic ward where they can't do anything, but you're monitoring them extremely closely. Like they have a, a best buddy that's just following around. Be like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Okay, cool, got it. Um, and then teasing out like what is optimal in terms of how much of a surplus do we need? Like, like I was saying, is 200 calories to 500 calories the same, or do you need, kind of depending on what you're doing, a certain amount? Um, and so that's that's probably the first study I would do. Um, it's just a really, really good bulking study because there's not much out on there about it. Yeah, I actually remember when we were deciding on the different rates of gains uh, when we were giving feedback to people within the app. You were mentioning that there just was not enough literature really there. No, and um, so so Grant Tinsley put out a a bulking study, but he only had like eighteen people, um, and he actually ended up using it was a single arm study design, so he just kind of had people bulk and measure body composition. So the idea of getting at like how much fat versus lean mass are you actually gaining, um, and he ended up using Bayesian statistics, and it's like well that's not ideal. Like of course he did the best he could, but there's just not much out there. It's like, I guess nobody wants to gain muscle. I, I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Well, <laughs> that was a very good answer, and I like that you had that thought out before. I'm glad I didn't just completely surprise you and you had no answer. So I was thinking the whole time, I was like, man, I don't even know what I would answer to that. So it's a good thing you had something locked and loaded. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that's pretty much a wrap for this. This is the end of the first episode of the Log Smarter Podcast. So before we sign off, do you want to let people know where to find you? Yeah. So um, Instagram is probably like the easiest place, uh, brob underscore 21. Uh, I'm on Facebook still. So just Brandon Roberts um, on ResearchGate, on LinkedIn, pretty much anywhere. Um, I guess if you, since this is our inaugural podcast, if you want to email me like robertsb21 at gmail.com, like I can't promise you I'll answer you immediately, but I'll answer you within like a week. Um, so if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. I have people slide into my DMs all the time, like random, random ass questions. Like, it's okay. I might just have to tell you, I don't know, man. I just don't know. <laughs> so be prepared for that. Thank you so much for listening to the Log Smarter Podcast. If you're interested in more content and information like what we discussed in the show, you should check out our website, logsmarter.net, and our app that uses machine learning to help our customers optimize their nutrition so they can reach their goals while saving time, effort, and money. If you find what we do valuable and want to support the show, leaving a positive review or sharing with a friend is extremely helpful for us. Remember, you can head to logsmarter.net for more information. On the site, you'll find links to our app, which is available on Android, iOS, and web, and you'll also find links to get in touch with us on social media.